Our Bible reading tonight comes from Genesis chapter 3 and can be found in your church Bibles on page 5. That's Genesis chapter 3. Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realised that they were naked So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The snake deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the snake, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden. 
to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. It'd be great if you could keep your Bibles open at Genesis 3. That's going to be really helpful. Last week we saw that to be created male and female is to be gloriously the same and beautifully distinct. One of the major themes that we looked at was what it is to be made in the image of God. And one of the ways of thinking about this is that we are created to be mirrors reflecting who God is. We were created male and female to display something of what our creator God is like, to show off his beauty. This is our common purpose and mission. And overall, I want to say that this is something that we do together. As we fill and rule the earth, we as male and female uh, accomplish this mission. But we also do this distinctly, Men taking first responsibility for work and worship, women as helpers of the helpless. Together we display who God is. And this is what it is to be male and female in a perfect world. But we don't live in a perfect world, do we? We live in a world where many men feel insignificant and unfulfilled, where Many are unemployed, underemployed, or overemployed, where many are disengaged at home, or others are abusive, where many men have turned their back on church because Jesus is a woman thing. And we live in a world where many women are vulnerable and unloved, where many are overburdened and outstretched by a million expectations and responsibilities, where many can't walk home on a summer's evening without glancing over their shoulder and planning a route of escape. And we live in a world where many make no time for Jesus in all their busy lives. But blaming all our difficulties and challenges as men and women on the fallen world, the fallenness, the brokenness out there, that just won't cut it. That's not sufficient because the Bible points not to the problem out there, but the problem in here as well. As men and women, the problem is in here because we ourselves are fallen. So if we're going to learn what it is to flourish as men and women in Christ, we have to pay attention to this. We have to pay attention to what it is to be fallen male and female. I'm going to say just briefly and first of all that we are primarily fallen human beings. The fall is something that we all did and we all experienced together. But today we're focusing more on the distinctives. And I'm going to warn you, um, there really isn't much good news tonight. I'm sorry about that. Uh, We're going to dive into the depths of our depravity. We're going to come face to face with the darkness. But we must do this. We must. 
If we misdiagnose the problem, then we're not going to find the right cure. And the light will seem all the more glorious when we come face to face with the darkness. You might admit that you're not what you could be as a man or a woman. But the reality is far, far worse. Let's start by looking at Adam in Genesis 3 and what it is to be fallen man. Remember from Genesis 2, God placed Adam and Eve in a garden paradise full of everything they could ever possibly want. And the Lord said to Adam in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. But um, as Nay read, that's exactly what they do. Uh, The snake deceives. Adam and Eve take and eat, and humanity falls. Now, as guys, it's probably tempting to blame Eve here. After all, she's at fault, right? Think again. Look at verse 6 of chapter 3. The second half of it says, She also gave some, that is the fruit, to her husband, who was with her. Wow. All the time, as the snake deceived, as Eve was conned, her husband Adam was with her. Right there, listening in to every single lie, doing nothing, saying nothing. Wow. Adam avoided his responsibility. God told him to have dominion over the animals, but here is a snake telling his family what to do. God gave him the responsibility of taking care of the garden, protecting it, keeping it secure, And yet he does nothing against this threat. Adam was meant to lead his wife in worship. And yet here he stands passively by and allows Eve to lead him in disobedience. He was given all these responsibilities, but he avoids, avoids, avoids. And then he reacts with fear. Previously, Adam and Eve had been naked, but completely okay with it. But after eating the fruit, Adam and Eve feel exposed and vulnerable. It's it's shame. It's deep, deep shame. He hasn't just done something wrong. Adam realizes that on on some level, he himself is now dishonorable. There's something wrong with him. And so he tries to cover up. And even as he finishes sewing his fig leaves together, the sound of crunching leaves, footsteps in the garden. So verse 8, he hides from the presence of God, but he doesn't go undiscovered for long. Where are you? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? Can you picture Adam shaking, 
sweating, clutching fig leaves before the presence of his creator. He's so desperate to cover up his inadequacy that he even blames his wife. But I think his response can best be summed up in verse 10. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. He was afraid of being exposed. You see, Adam's fall was specifically about avoidance and fear. Avoidance and fear. And he leads all men in the same sin. In in verse 17, we see that Adam brought a curse upon himself and all men to follow him. With thorns and thistles everywhere, our responsibilities would our responsibilities to work and worship would now become painful toil. And and guys, we might hide it. But ever since Adam's fall, we have been desperately afraid of being exposed. Bending beneath the burden of our responsibilities. Deep down, we know we just can't shoulder it. Blessed with glorious purpose of displaying God to the world, we are completely inadequate. Deep down, we are afraid that this naked insufficiency will be on display, will be discovered by God, by others, and even by ourselves. So what do we do? We avoid Fallen man avoids because of fear. And in doing so, we distort the image of God. Still, we reflect something of who God is. Still, we reflect something of his glory, but it's distorted. It's broken. We're made to represent and reflect our creator. Our failings... As fallen men, as as scared, frightened avoiders, they, they don't just reflect poorly on us. I think we know that. I think we know that our failings reflect poorly on us. But they also reflect on who the world thinks God is. Our failings do great dishonor to our God. We hide his glory. How would you feel if someone was out there in the world, spreading rumors, false rumors, lies about what you're really like. That wouldn't feel good, would it? I want us to really see that this is our sin. So I'm going to go through five portraits of fallen humanity now. Um, These aren't original to me, uh, although I've kind of developed them a little bit. I first heard them from a guy called George Hawkins, who's the minister at um, Beeston Free Church in Nottingham. None of us will neatly fit into any of these categories, but I encourage you to look for yourself, to look for your own sin in these portraits and not for the sin of the person sitting next to you or someone else. This is about facing our own sin. And it's not a personality test. Firstly, we'll put it up on the screen. The first portrait of fallen man is little boy. Little boy avoids through escapism. And his motto is, 
I can't cope with life. He can't face the thorns and the thistles, so he just doesn't struggle at all. Uh, This little boy might uh, flit from one job to the next. He might well flit from one relationship to the next. He might seem like a little bit of a kid, and he'll want women to mother him and make his decisions for him. If he has a wife, he'll want her to be the boss. Instead of facing his responsibilities, little boy will escape into hobbies or uh, gaming or a subject of interest, maybe even something like theology. These are his fig leaves, which he uses to cover his nakedness. He may even reject masculinity entirely. He may be very effeminate. He may take on a camp persona. Deep down, he is terrified of commitment and conflict. He's scared that if he makes a decision, he will be exposed. He's also vulnerable to addiction. He might try to escape the real world by going into pornography or addiction, through like alcohol addiction. He just doesn't take hold of life. It's really tragic. And he misrepresents God. The lie he tells about God is that God is someone who would never take the initiative in grace and salvation. That's the first portrait of fallen man. The second is party boy. Party boy avoids through entertaining. His motto is, I'll make you feel good, but I won't commit to you. He might seem quite fun and engaging. He certainly knows how to use words in order to charm. He's very good at talking himself out of trouble. He probably pays a lot of attention to his appearance. But all the charm, all the jokes, they're just fig leaves. Again, protecting the real him from being exposed. He pursues women to build his own ego. He likes the chase but hates commitment because they might see who he really is. Everything he does is shallow. There's no depth because really he's scared of who he is deep down. He misrepresents God as someone who would use words not to create and save, but to manipulate and twist. That's party boy. Good boy. Good boy avoids through people-pleasing. His motto is, I will do everything to keep the peace except fight. Good boy might well be popular, particularly in a church, I think, because he's very polite, he's very interested in others. He won't cause any trouble and he'll be very, very helpful. But eventually the niceness will grate. He won't lead or make decisions because other people might disagree and he won't stick his neck out. Being liked is the only aim, so he constantly overpromises and never says no. He'll even lie and manipulate in order to avoid conflict. Because deep down he is naked and ashamed. He sews together the praise of others as his covering. And he misrepresents God as someone who doesn't love but is only interested in what he can get out of people. Two more portraits. Distant boy. Distant boy avoids through achieving. 
His motto is, I won't let the thorns and thistles win. Distant boy is impressive. He's organized. He's reliable and diligent with his work. He's decisive, competent, and self-sufficient. But busyness and distance are his fig leaves. He's terrified of relationships. Like party boy, he doesn't want anyone to get close enough that they might discover the real him. In marriage and family, he'll be emotionally disengaged. If uh, his wife says she doesn't feel loved, then his response will be, haven't I done enough for you? In friendships, he'll often seem distant. He might be on his phone or looking off into the distance, thinking about something else. Maybe uh, he might attend church, but he'll only ever engage at an intellectual level. Everything's at a distance. And he reflects, too, a distorted image of God. God as a distant father who wants to keep us at arm's reach. Finally, macho boy. Macho boy avoids through dominance. His motto is, I will never show weakness or compassion. Again, he'll be organized and efficient. He might very well be uh, successful and impressive, but he's a bully who won't make any room for weakness. He rules his family through fear. When confronted or challenged, he will never admit fault or apologize because he's terrified of disorder, whether in himself or in the world. He can't cope with weakness in others because he can't cope with the weakness in himself. And in the end, he'll be a loner. He reflects, of course, a distorted image of God. God as the cruel bully who never shows mercy. So guys, do you see yourself? You might cross over and see yourselves in a little bit in one, a little bit in the other. You may spot a little bit of your personality in all of them. But this isn't a personality test. Whichever portrait you identify with, through our fear and avoidance, we are so far short of what we should be. And we are selling God so far short of who he is. We are images lying about what God is like, hiding his glory, dishonoring his name. Uh, We'll come to the conclusion. We'll conclude those thoughts in a moment. But first, um, let's move on to thinking about fallen woman. Uh, Still in Genesis 3, looking at Eve. In verses 1 to 5, we see how Eve was deceived. The snake is described as crafty. And uh, his plan is to get Eve to doubt what God said. But more than that, he wants Eve to doubt who God is. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden. God had actually only forbidden access to one tree. But the snake, Satan, deliberately misquotes God, as if God didn't want Eve to eat at all, 
from any tree. And he wants God to seem harsh, unreasonable. Did God really say? He's making it sound like something ridiculous. And Eve rightly refutes this. She says, we may eat from the fruit trees in the garden. But, I don't know if you've noticed this, already the snake's tactics are working. She gives the devil a foothold, even at this stage, because Eve now misquotes God, making him sound harsher than he actually is. God had said, don't eat from the tree. But Eve adds, you must not touch it or you will die. Emboldened by this progress, the snake makes his final move. Once more, he wants Eve to doubt what God has said and doubt who God is. You will not die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So not only is the snake saying that God's a liar, but he's saying that Eve... God is holding back something from you. And she falls for it. Before she was completely secure, knowing that her God loved her, knowing that her God wanted what was best for her and would provide for her, but now that happy paradise was turned upside down. Her sense of safety and security were lost, evaporated, She didn't believe that God loved her. She didn't believe that God wanted the best for her. And out of this terrible insecurity, Eve takes control. She sees the fruit. It's bright. It's glistening. It's perfectly ripe. It's begging to be picked. But more than that, it's desirable for making one wise. She reaches out to take the place of God, to be the one who knows good and evil and in some way determines good and evil. And she takes control of her husband too. Admittedly, he's been rubbish, as we've already seen. He just stands there doing nothing. His job was to lead her in worship, but now she grasps control and leads him in disobedience. Deceived about who God is, Eve was insecure and takes control. And she leads all women who follow her in the very same sin. After the hiding and the blame game that we've already talked about, Eve hears the curse that, would, that she'd brought upon herself. Just like Adam, it would mean painful labor, but obviously of a different kind. And then, as well, there's relationship breakdown in verse 16. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. As a result of the fall, Adam will twist responsibility into rule. He was always meant to lead, but now he will do so as a selfish sinner. And Eve, too, Instead of being that helper to the helpless, imaging our helper God, her desire is going to be for her husband. 
Now, that's easily misunderstood, but actually, if we were to flick over onto the next page, we'd see that phrase used again. And there it's sin's desire to take control of Cain. It's exactly the same phrase, and that's what it means here too. Eve, from this point forward, even fallen woman, deceived into insecurity, will seek to take control. And uh, you, you will know better than I do, obviously. But has fallen woman ever recovered from this deception? It might be easy to excuse or joke about uh, the compulsion to control, but it's no small thing. It comes from terrible insecurity that you are not loved. It's rooted in the dreadful deception that God doesn't want the best for you. And more than that, through control and through insecurity, fallen woman presents, again, this distorted view of God to the world, lying about who he really is. So again, here are five portraits of fallen woman. Again, um, don't think about uh, the sins of the person next to you. Try and spot your own sin here and come face to face with it. Firstly, little girl. Little girl controls through weakness. Her motto is, help me. Purposefully naive and simple-minded, she can seem younger than she actually is emotionally and relationally. She might feign helplessness so that others will step in and take care of her. She's very dependent, needy, and wants men to rescue her. She might even resort to emotional blackmail, making others feel duty-bound to step in and help, which of course is draining on those around her. But fundamentally, she doesn't believe that God will take care of her, and so she manipulates others into doing so instead. Made to show what God is like, she tells two lies. By refusing to embrace her own mission, she makes God look weak and needy too. And she also declares to the world watching on that God doesn't care and will not rescue. She needs other people to do that instead. Secondly, party girl. Party girl controls through charm. With men, she may be flirtatious and seductive. With women, she may be very flattering face to face. She knows how to use words to manipulate, and she knows how to use her appearance to draw people in. She'll probably be very popular and very good company, but she needs this because deep down she doesn't feel loved. Not really. She always compares herself to others and she's going to have very low self-esteem. So she might gossip and tear others down behind their backs. Party girl misrepresents God as someone who draws people, not because he loves them, but because he's desperately alone. Thirdly, good girl. Good girl controls through presenting this ideal image to the world. She's a people pleaser who, who won't, maybe even can't, 
say no. She's a rescuer who finds her significance in others. People absolutely love this girl, I think particularly in church. She's very compliant, she doesn't make waves, but she's passionless. She doesn't know what she really wants because she's so obsessed with what everybody else wants. If you were to go to the cinema with this girl and, and say after, after the film, what did you think? She'd respond, I don't really know. What did you think? That's all that matters to her. Deep down, she doesn't believe that God is pleased with her. And even if he would ever be pleased with her, it would be because she'd done something. Good girl misrepresents God as someone who will help us, but only because he needs to be loved. Fourthly, busy girl. Busy girl controls through busyness. Her motto is, I'll fix myself. She'll take charge. She's very competent. She's task-oriented. She does loads for people. She hates to be dependent herself. And so she has very little time for others who are needy. She might be stiff, uh, awkward, relationally. She struggles to be tender and doesn't trust. She can be very critical and shaming of others. She excuses her lack of uh, people skills and love for others by saying, again, haven't I done enough? She tells the world that our God is neither gracious nor merciful. Finally, tough girl. This is control through punishment. Her motto is, if you wrong me, I will destroy you. She's full of anger and sarcasm and vengeance. She demands that others comply. She might even humiliate others. And she really doesn't want you to see the real her because she thinks that that would be weakness and she can't cope with being weak. She, of course, misrepresents God. How? As a cruel, cruel judge who will never forgive. So, um, women of Christ Church, do you, do you see yourself here in any of these uh, little portraits? Maybe one, maybe two, maybe a bit of all of them. Because of your insecurity and control, I'm afraid you will not flourish. I'm afraid you will not thrive as God intended you to. He created you with glorious purpose and value. But this means you have fallen so far short of what you were meant to be, what you could be. And even worse, even worse, you distort the image of God fallen woman displays to the world that God doesn't love, that he doesn't want the best for us. Fallen woman hides God's glory. Fallen woman dishonors his name. It's all very bad news, isn't it? It's all very, very bad news. We were made 
male and female, to be mirrors reflecting who God is to the world. But those mirrors have been smashed. Yes, you can still see a reflection. Yes, you can see something of God's glory, but it's distorted, it's twisted, it's broken. And what do you do with a smashed mirror? You throw it away. It has no purpose. It has no use. It needs to be thrown away. That's what happens to Adam and Eve here. God had promised that in the day that they eat that fruit, they would certainly die. And they certainly did. At the end of chapter 3, they were cast out, banished from the garden, banished from God's presence. And apart from God's joy, they found sorrow. Apart from God's love, they found hate. Apart from God's provision, they found emptiness. Apart from God's life, they found death. And we've, we face that too. We face that too in the here and now. And one day, we, fallen male and female, fallen men and women, will face that in eternity. We don't belong in God's presence as broken mirrors. So what's the point? Why am I telling you all this good, this, not good news, bad news? How do we respond? Desperately, Lord, please help. Lord, please save. I am not what I should be. Me. I am not what I should be. You are not what you should be. We need God's help. We need someone to step in. We need someone to change us. We need a saviour. There are hints in this chapter. Even as God is pronouncing the curse that Adam and Eve brought upon themselves, he promised in verse 15 that a seed of the woman, an offspring of the woman would come who would crush the head of the snake, who would save us from the curse. And at the end of the chapter, in verse 21, God makes garments of skin to cover Adam and Eve in their shame. God is going to do something in the story of the Bible that deals with this curse. God is going to do something which covers our nakedness. And so we cry out, help. We need Jesus. And we're going to hear all about that next week as we look at redeemed male and female as Jesus steps into the picture and not only does what we could never do, but helps us fulfill what our purpose was in the first place. Let's pray. Almighty God, this has been sobering stuff as we come face to face with our own sin as fallen men and women. Father, please forgive us. Please forgive us 
for our frightened avoidance of responsibility. Please forgive us for our insecure taking control. Please forgive us for displaying to the world lies about who you are. We pray that you would forgive us. We pray that you would change us. And we pray that you would help us to be what we cannot be by ourselves. In Jesus' precious name, amen.